This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone. In today's episode, I will be chatting with Tessa Stuckey. Tessa is a mom of four, a therapist, parent coach, author, and speaker. Tessa is passionate about our youth mental health, suicide prevention, and navigating parenting in today's tech-filled world. She has a book called For the Sake of Our Youth, a therapist's perspective on parenting in today's culture, and it is available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. In today's episode, we talk about her experience working with preteens and teens for the past seven years and how things have changed along the way. We answer questions such as, how has suicidal ideation amongst teens changed or seemed different from years past? Are teens having a more difficult time managing typical life stressors compared with years prior? And why? How to manage phones and social media in your own homes and much more. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Good morning, Tessa. We're excited to have you today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So today's topic is going to be about teens and depression, anxiety, and perhaps its relation to social media, which I have been very vocal about on my Instagram. This is something that's kind of been a fear of mine, I think, as my kids are starting to get older and Obviously, we see, you know, kids are having cell phones much younger than they used to. And so I'm really intrigued to hear your thoughts today about what you have seen in our teens as uh, they go through this phase of cell phones and social media and how it relates to anxiety and depression. Yeah, it's it's a lot. You know, parenting today is way different from when we were kids and the way our parents parented us. And so there was really no way of preparing parents for today's parenting. And it's kind of like, we have to wake up a little bit to what's been going on. And as a therapist, I've seen it firsthand working with teenagers, what's going on in their world. But I would have had no idea of that if it wasn't for my job. And so with my job, I turn around and I parent my kids in a different way. And my kids are all young and I'm trying to raise them with the mindset of what I'm hearing in my office with teenagers and kind of staying away from screens and social media as long as I possibly can, because that is a huge cultural shift that's 
really affected today's youth and their mental health. What have you seen in particular? Like what's some of the common, you know, things that you see teens expressing like within your practice? Do they typically like bring up social media or is it you that's kind of like, okay, you've been feeling more anxious. Have you been using these things? Like how have you been um, exploring that with them? Well, so when I first started my practice about seven or eight years ago, I didn't bring it up to them. I would let them bring it up, but I started to see a pattern, you know, when they would tell me that they got in a fight with their mom and then their mom took their phone away and they just couldn't handle being away from their phone or Mm. they would be bothered by something that they saw a friend do on Snapchat or Instagram or something. And so I, I started to talk to my clients differently once I started to realize what a problem social media and screens were. And um, now I bring it up to them. It's actually part of my intake when I first meet a client is how much, how much screen time are you at and how much of that is with social media. And so we kind of explore that and how it affects them individually and on a personal level. But they come to me with a lot of the same issues that you and I dealt with when we were teenagers, you know, friendship, discord, fighting with parents, you know, stressors from school, you know, peer pressure things, a lot Mm -hmm. of the same stuff that, that, you know, typical life stressors for adolescents. But the thing is, is that everything is amplified more because a lot of it is being broadcasted on social media or they haven't developed the resilience necessary to get through some of these life struggles because they've grown up with a screen in front of their face Mm -hmm. anytime they got bored or were throwing a tantrum as a little kid, you know, their parents would just hand them, you know, a little game to play on their iPad or, you know, Netflix. So what's happening is our kids are used to the immediate gratification that's happening in today's world of technology and convenience. And when they are faced with real life struggles, like getting in a fight with a best friend or going through a breakup or, you know, getting a bad grade on a test, they cannot handle it very well because they haven't had the chance to build resilience. And then on top of all of that is, oh man, Lindsay, I could go, I mean, we, I know we're going to dive deep, but I could just go on and on. Tessa, let's do um, it. And seriously, I, <laughs> you have no idea how excited I am for this. <laughs> I mean, I, there's so many layers to this that it's 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 just a lot, and it and I feel for for youth today because it's not their fault, and it's not parents' fault either because they didn't know, and but now we do know more and more every day. We're learning, yeah, and it's it's really time for us to step up as the adults in this world and do something about it so that our kids can live a healthier lifestyle. So that's, I think what gives me a little bit of hope is that I do feel that like our generation now where our children are Mm -hmm. on the younger side, you know, like in elementary school and younger, you're seeing the research come out now too. It's, you know, it's starting to come out and we're starting to realize what I think we all kind of knew deep down to begin with, which is mm-hmm. that social yeah. media really is not is toxic. I think it's toxic just as much for adults as it is for children, I to be too. completely yeah. honest with you. I think people just don't want to own it. But, you know, it's it's like at least now we have, you know, evidence, okay, this is definitely not good for our children. I mean, I can't even imagine like you think back to when you were a teenager, I could not right. even handle my emotions as no. is. And I didn't have a phone. Like I went to school every day. I did my extracurriculars. I came home, but it was 
like being a teen was the hardest mm-hmm. thing. I mean, trying to manage the emotions. Try- if you added in social media and then seeing that I wasn't invited to a party or seeing exactly. that, you know, A, talking to B or what, I mean, I right. cannot even imagine. And like you said, it's like kids don't have the opportunity to have solitude, which I had right. like an ample amounts of when I was younger. You know, there was constantly moments in my day where I was sitting bored with nothing to do and we would find things to do outside. We would make a fort. We would do this in the woods. We would do. And like kids just do not have that. And it's so worrisome because it's like, where do we go? Right. And I, I remember like sitting in my room, staring at the ceiling, listening to music because I had nothing else to do. You know, I remember trying to get creative around the house with whatever supplies, like craft supplies my mom had left in the closet. You know, we really did have to exercise that part of our brain to get creative and to fill up that time. And today kids are not even given that opportunity to be bored. Um, So it's really good for parents with the younger kids to know this now, right? Because, and that's what I really benefited from working with teenagers because all of my kids are 10 and under, and I've been doing this for about seven years now. So I started when my oldest son was three and big lifestyle changes in our house so that they are forced to struggle through the boredom and forced to get creative and forced to be bored and, and have to figure out you know, problem solving stuff starting at a really young age. And my hope with that is to build that resilience so that they can get through typical life stressors later on, instead of just leaning on TikTok and staying on TikTok for five hours and then, you know, staying up all night because they have to see what their friends are doing. And I, and I agree. I was the same as you. Like if I wasn't invited to something, I didn't know until Monday. So I was able to enjoy the weekend still and like do whatever. And then Monday I'd get to school and I'd find out, you know, that the girls, all got together and didn't invite me and it would crush my heart just the same. But it, mm-hmm. but at least I had like time to process it differently than the way that kids are having to process it now. Right. And and you didn't spend your whole weekend scrolling through all of those person, right. all those people's feeds, seeing what you're right. missing Dwelling out on, on and then yeah. becoming extremely depressed. I mean, I can't even, honestly, it's hard for me to even think about how I could have navigated that. I don't think I would have done very well. <laughs> No, I know I wouldn't. I know myself and and the way I was as a teenager, this would have been, uh, I don't want to be dramatic and say that it would have been like so detrimental for me, but I really do believe it would have. Just knowing who I was as a teenager and the drama that I was, that I built up in my head at times, like mm-hmm. I know that it really would have crushed me. And that's what I'm seeing in my office is these teenagers that come and they are thinking about suicide or they're practicing self-harm. And it's over stuff that we sit here as adults and we go, really? Like, that's why you are hurting yourself or that's why you're thinking about suicide. But in reality, it's like, well, they've got really big emotions and they have not been taught how to self-regulate at all except Mm. for getting on TikTok. And TikTok can only do so much and TikTok is going to make them feel worse. So it's, it's a really, really scary place for our teenagers to be in with social media. Have you seen that there are, you know, perhaps some personalities that aren't as affected by social media or is it pretty clear across the board that it affects all teens in relatively the same way? I will say girls are more emotionally affected 
by social media than boys with boys. There are definitely boys that are bothered by it and get affected by it for sure. With boys, we have to be a little bit more concerned about the nude pictures and the pornography exposure, which that's a whole nother thing. Let's see. Oh man. It's a whole Um, nother podcast for another day. (laughs) It is with girls. They seem to be affected more, but but boys are too. I should not say one or the other, but studies do show that girls are affected more. And what I'm seeing is just, you know, I started out working with 16 and 17 year olds struggling with this stuff. And through the years, it's gotten younger and younger. And now I'm working with eight and nine year olds who are addicted to their phones and addicted to social media and thinking about talking to their parents about how they want it in their lives and they want to go hurt themselves. And it's like, you're in third grade. Yeah, I know. I know. And oh my gosh, how do you, so Oh my gosh. People ask me like how I work in the ER and like see all these things and experience all these things. But like me, like how do you even, like I would get so emotional, like talking to a nine about like suicidal ideation, like because of a phone. Oh my gosh. That makes me crazy. I know. I, I did not, I'll be just honest with you. I wanted to work with teenagers. I specifically did not want to work with kids because when I first started at my internship, I had, I had to work with kids that were victims of domestic violence and it just Mm. broke my heart so, so much. And I would stay up at night and I had, you know, the little ones at home and I just was like, okay, that's it. Like I'm not meant to work with kids because my heart, like I wanted to take them all home. You know what I mean? And I wanted to like save them all. And I know I can't save them all. So that's my boundary as a therapist is I don't want to work with kids, but I'll work with teenagers because I can teach them to build strength and, and handle real life situations. And when they do move out, they'll be prepared. But what I wasn't prepared for was this trickle down from older teenagers down to young teenagers, to preteens, to kids that are struggling with this cultural effect. And it does, it does pull at my heartstrings, like big time. And I look at my own kids and it's, it's really hard. I'm not going to lie. And some days I'm really good at, you know, having a thick skin and keeping work at work. And other days Mm -hmm. I, I just can't, I lose sleep over it. And, and I think that I'm trying to use that as my motivating drive to get attention to with more and more parents so that they can kind of join me in this fear so that they take it as seriously as I want them to take it and do something about it, make the changes necessary to protect our kids. Mm. Now, when it comes to, you know, like suicidal ideation, like you were saying, have you seen, I mean, you said you've been practicing for seven years and have you seen like an uptick? I mean, granted, we've had social media for quite a while now, but have you seen that, that it possibly could be correlated? Because I know we have you know, some studies that are ongoing and some things that have come out, but I don't think we quite have that direct link yet that I know of, maybe you know of, but like, what have you found with that? So I did research. I have a book that came out about a year ago and I did research on all of this. And in my research, I have a direct correlation with social media. Now I was researching with a smaller scale. So I don't think that there's been an official, I mean, maybe there are some official stats out there in research, but mm-hmm. I can say within my research, within my office, 100%, there is a correlation between social media and suicidal ideation. Yeah. And is that correlated with like, how did you look into like how much use, like, so say, 
you know, a parent was to give their child, okay, for a half an hour, you're able to do this. Like, have you researched like timing, like a child who has unlimited access to social media versus a child who has, you know, a limited like 30 minute access per day or something like that? Yeah, I didn't do that within my studies, but I do know that there have been some done and they say that two hours or more on a screen um, is going to increase depression and anxiety with kids. I will say, depending on how old the child is, that that can definitely make a difference with 30 minutes as opposed to two plus hours. Absolutely. I shouldn't say depending on the child, really with anyone. I don't love the idea of social media for kids under 16 in general, even if it is just 30 minutes a day. But I know that it's happening and I know it's going to probably happen for a while. So the less time, obviously, the better. It really, and I don't, again, I don't want to come across as dramatic, but it really is very similar to drug use, you know, and addiction because the dopamine dumps that our kids are getting when they're on screens is, is very similar to someone doing cocaine the amount of dopamine that they get within their brain when they are playing games or on social media or even watching YouTube or TikTok or something, that amount of dopamine is so much that that's what causes the addiction. And what happens with that is, you know, there's this false sense of connection through social media. You connect with others on a very surface level because what happens is you're not getting any of the oxytocin. So oxytocin is the other feel-good chemical our brain makes when we make true connection with people. And that has to happen face-to-face, in person. So what happens a lot of times, I get clients who say, yeah, I have a lot of friends, but they're all like surface level. I don't have any friends that I feel truly connected to. And I find out that most of their friends are through online or they know them at school, but they don't talk to them at school. They only talk to them through DMs on Instagram. And so they're going to get that dopamine rush that feels good, but they're not going to get the oxytocin. And that's what's needed to truly feel connected with each other. And if we're not feeling connected, you know, we are not meant to be lonely. Loneliness is a horrible, horrible feeling. And teenagers especially do not know how to struggle through loneliness. And that's when there's a desperate need of attention that starts to happen and thoughts that can get really dark. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, with those dopamine, the release of dopamine, like you said, it's it's a very short type of acting. I mean, you can even see it in yourself when it comes to your own phone. Like I have gone through these, you know, like phone detoxes this past year and I've yeah. been kind of advocating for them pretty strongly and honestly can't wait to leave social media at the end of the year. And yeah, I mean, when I first did my month away, um, I did my first month away in January, those first two weeks, honestly, pretty terrifying because yeah. I would get up, I'd go to reach for my phone, I'd go to scroll I'd without even thinking about it. Right, and I was right. like, oh, what am I doing? I would get up to go to the bathroom. Where's my phone? I'm like, why do I need my phone to go use the restroom? Right. Like, to go to the bathroom. Do you yes. know what I mean? Yes. So think about how that is in our own selves and then translate that to a teenager who doesn't even have the tools that they need to be able to you know, handle normal life stressors. Like they're still learning. I don't know. To me, it's just, yeah, it's like, it's so dangerous. You know, their brains are still developing. The prefrontal cortex is the last part of our brain to get developed and that doesn't get fully developed till 
around 25 to 28 years old. And that's all the Mm -hmm. cognitive thinking and the problem solution thinking and the long-term consequence thinking and the impulse control and the risk assessment. And we all were fortunate to develop that part of our brain without social media and without the distraction of screens. So we had to struggle Mm -hmm. in a different way. And these kids, they're not doing that. And they've got a lack of the brain development part. So even if as adults, like we feel a little too addicted to our screens, or we don't like the way we're using our screens, typically adults are are much better about recognizing that and then doing something about it and saying, you know what, I'm going to set this time limit for myself and I'm going to follow through with it. And if, you know, I get bored, which I don't, I don't know a lot of adults who truly get bored, but if I get bored or if I don't know what to do with my time, I'm going to make a conscious decision not to pick up my phone. Teenagers cannot do that. They do not have the brain development or the willpower to do that because they have not trained themselves. And again, their brain is not fully developed. Adults, it's a little bit easier for us to step away. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what you know, what kind of rules you have in your home. And if we can also address, because I know this is always a really common theme is, well, you know, my, my child comes home and, you know, they're like, everybody in my, in my class has a Mm -hmm. phone. I'm the only one who doesn't. And then they feel left out and then they get made fun of or what have you. And so the parent caves because they don't want their child like being made fun of and like missing out. So like, how would you address that? So I have a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and two 6-year-olds. And we have a TV downstairs. And they do have the Nintendo Switch that is hidden, comes out very rarely, maybe once every couple months. Other than that, they don't have any social media or access to a smartphone. We do have a Gab wireless phone. Do you know what that is? Yes. So we do have one of those, yeah, that we use as our house phone, and that is like our family cell phone. So it only has call and text, no internet. So like if they make friends at school, they can share that phone number with them and call with their friends in the afternoon. Or if they come home from school, they're allowed to use that phone to call, you know, grandma or something. But that is That is it as far as screens go in our home. When my kids get bored, which they do, they, I always respond with that's on you, dude, go figure it out. And we've we've done, (laughs) yeah, we've done the prep work that I teach a lot of my clients, which is I ask kids or adults, honestly, they, they benefit from this too. Kids and teenagers, what do you like to do for fun? And what do you like to do that's relaxing and make a list of at least three to five options for each of those questions and screens is not allowed to be on that list. And that's a really good indicator too, as to how bad the addiction is with that person. Because Mm. if they go, if I say, what do you like to do for fun? And they cannot answer, which happens a lot without adding TikTok or video games, then that's a big problem. Yes. That is a very common answer with kids and teenagers. I don't know. I don't have anything else to do, or I'm just too busy with schoolwork. So the only thing I want to do is get on TikTok. 
So I really encourage families to sit down and make those lists. And and my son, he's so sweet. When he was about six years old, he was bored out of his mind, which I really like it when my kids get bored again. Boredom is one of the first emotional struggles that kids go through starting at a young age. And what's happening is, as a lot of parents are not even allowing the boredom, right? So I Mm -hmm. really encourage parents, especially with the young ones, to let the boredom happen because that is their first big moment to be independent and and creative and discover something that they can do with that to self-regulate. So my son, he was bored and he decided to come up with a list of things he can do when he's bored and wrote them out in a big circle on a poster board and then broke, he broke another board game that we have, one of the spinners and glued it to the center of this circle on the poster board. And anytime he gets bored, he spins that spinner and whatever it lands on, he has to go do that thing. So he created a B-O-R-E-D game, board game in our house. (laughs) And so that's what he does. It's so cute. And like, you know, things like building Legos, read a book, write a story, help mom, go jump on the trampoline. I mean, normal kid stuff, right? And so- So I have clients make a list of things that they can do for fun and things that are relaxing. You know, sometimes we need to go take that long bubble bath or sit down and read a book that we've been wanting to pick up or journal Mm -hmm. or listen to good music, you know, and we forget about that as an option sometimes when we get bored or when we have nothing to do. So that is, that is kind of how our house runs. My kids, you know, we are very busy with, with sports and school and stuff, of course. But outside of that, I, I want there to be play and relaxation for them, not little zombies glued to a screen. So that's kind of how we run things in our house. <laughs> okay, so then the second question was, I already forgot, Lindsay, I'm sorry. Okay, so if your child came home and they were like, mom, everybody in my class has a cell phone. I don't want to feel left out. It's making me really depressed. People are making fun of me. And you just start to get like this mom guilt of like, oh my gosh, I don't want my kid to miss out, you know, that sort of thing. Yes. And that's so common. And it it is a really big struggle. And I hate the first part of my answer to that. I hate because it's not a real solution. My first answer to that is exactly why you know, we need more and more parents on board. We need to share this information. We need to set up school presentations. We need to bring people in to talk to parents, groups of parents. We need to join forces. Parents need to find other parents who have the same beliefs and and rules at their home and kind of connect with them and band together, talk with each other. But I know that that's not always the solution because there's a lot of parents out there who are really busy who are not aware of all of this and not going on. And it's it's really easy. It's it's usually easier to give in to your kids in the moment, right? Long term, mm-hmm. it's not easier. It's not, you know, I always say to parents, the co- inconvenience of holding off screens now is a much better struggle than later on with the heartache and the big emotions that are going to come with Mm -hmm. your teenager who's addicted or struggling with suicidal ideation because of it. Mm. But so, you know, my first part of that is to kind of stick with your guns and say no and, Mm -hmm. and try to get other parents on board. I know that's not always Mm -hmm. realistic. My other part of that is there are phone options that look like smartphones, but don't act like smartphones, like the Gab wireless one that just has text and call. And then there's also pinwheel. I really love pinwheel. 
they look completely like smartphones. They just don't have the internet or social media. And how is that different than the Gab phone? So the pinwheel phone is a little bit different because they do allow some apps that have been approved by therapists and teachers and parents. So they're all educational apps. And like, I think they have like Spotify kids on there, but, but you as the parent choose what apps they can have anyway. So, okay. Which one do you like better? That's a good question. I, uh, we have the Gab wireless for our house phone, our family phone, and we do like it, but I, I really do like the pinwheel phone too. So I don't know. Cause we, you know, personally we haven't gotten there yet. Right. With my family. Mm-hmm. So, but I've seen, you know, I have a lot of clients that have the pinwheel and have been very happy with it as well. And it just, you know, you have like a parent portal. So you go in and you, you can choose who they have contact with. You can see everything they're doing. It comes with Bark already installed on it. I don't know if you know what Bark is. No. Bark is a wonderful, wonderful monitoring uh, program. And they basically can monitor any phone. And instead of parents having to go in and have to look at every single text and every single social media and every single picture, Bark does that for you. And if there's mm-hmm. any sort of red flag, you get notified as the parent, like, hey, so-and-so is talking about sex or so-and-so is talking about drugs oh, or wow. um, this this text just came in and it looks like it might be insinuating sending nude pictures. Yeah. So it's it's a great oh, wow. program. That's I'll cool. have to send you more info on that. I have a code. I don't know. I don't know the code off of the top of my head, but I have a code for Bark, Pinwheel, and Gap Wireless. So I can, I can share that with you so you can put it in your notes with this episode, but so I like pinwheel as far as a starter phone, Gab and pinwheel. I like those as starter phones for our kids so that they can learn the responsibility of a phone and communicating with parents. As far as social media goes, that's, a, I mean, that is a hard one because like I said in the earlier in the episode, I don't like kids under 16 on social media there. I really don't like kids at 16 on social media, but <laughs> I know that it, it's going to happen most likely. And social media is not necessarily going away. And so there are ways that we can teach our kids to be on social media so that it isn't as harmful. And that's focusing on the productivity of social media. So what I have a lot of parents do is they allow Snapchat or Instagram, but they have it with like a 30 minute or a one hour screen time limit. So the child can only get on it you know, one hour a day. And they, they usually use that time pretty wisely and keep it productive. So if they need to talk to a certain friend or they want to, you know, they bypass mindless scrolling usually if they Mm -hmm. have that time limit because they don't want to waste their time. Yeah. So that's an idea for social media. I have a lot of fifth and sixth graders who are really begging their parents for social media. And I really don't like that age getting social media. So if you have a fifth Mm. or sixth grader, I really encourage you to keep on saying no. It's the same thing as, you know, letting your kid go to a party that you know is going to have some stuff there that you don't really want your kid to be around or be doing. And so the things that our kids are missing out on, you know, call it a digital party, is toxic and it's not good for them. So while they're coming home and they're feeling left out, I get it. They do feel left out, but the things that they're being left out on is not healthy and it's toxic and, and it's okay for them to be left out of this stuff. And depending on, you know, their situation and your family situation, it actually might be really good for them to learn how to struggle through 
this feeling of feeling left out and and figuring out a plan to get through it together. Yeah, I think it's I mean I'm I'm right on board with you as far as I I mean my oldest is 8, but we mm-hmm. do not allow obviously any phones or any screens. We've only ever allowed, mm-hmm. you know, I tell this story all the time, but when my oldest was probably 5 or 6, I would say, she we have iPads for traveling only and they're specifically for my kids have only ever been on an iPad when we were on a plane <laughs> or like a right. very random <laughs> educational game at home but other, like I don't even know where they are like that's how often like I don't exactly. even know yeah so she was on it to play like an educational game or whatever and she went into YouTube and was watching the, I mean, I was right next to her, but she was watching the, you know, those silly surprise eggs that un- unravel. Yes. Yes. So, okay. She was unraveling this egg. I, I kid you not. She was probably watching this for about a minute. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, we're not watching this. We're going to go outside. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. We're not like, this is not happening. I have never to this day to this day, have never seen her throw more of an epic tantrum than that day that oh, I told yep. her she could no longer watch the surprise eggs, which she only watched for one minute. Right. I, If that's not saying something, I don't know what is, right? So from that day that she was like five, I was like, there are no screens in this house. There will be no phones in this house. Like, you know, I mean, and I don't want to be, I also don't want to be too strict where I'm like, you can't. So like, I love these options of these other phones, which make you feel, oh, I have a phone. I can still call my friend. I can still call my mom just like you can, but I don't have to use these toxic social media apps. That's a really great example. And I remember going through that too. And I, I hear from a lot of moms who have really little ones And, you know, they say things like, I'm just so tired, or he just throws tantrums, or I can't take him anywhere without the iPad, because then it'll just be horrible. And I just want to encourage everyone. I had four kids under four, and I know, I remember, I know what it's like to have the messiness Mm -hmm. and the chaos and the loud and the tantrums and all of that. And I, I very much know that feeling of if I just pull my phone out, it will make them all be quiet and it will be totally fine. And I am guilty of doing that. I did that when they were itty bitty. And then when I started my research, my oldest was three. No, he was, he had just turned four and it just, it was worth the chaos and the messiness and the loudness to let them kind of struggle through that. And for me too, as the mom to struggle through that, when I really did want to rest or I did want to, you know, plop them in front of the iPad, it's worth, it is, I promise, 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 it's worth going through the daily chaos of that than having the YouTube opening the eggs and then them having this like complete horrible meltdown after and yeah. and I can't tell you Lindsay how many kids are being diagnosed with ADHD or other diagnosis that I don't think is true brain chemistry stuff I I, I think that it's it very well could be an addiction to iPads and screens and um, we're having mm-hmm. to figure out and decipher in the mental health field we're having to ask a whole lot of different questions nowadays to figure out what's really going on. And I will tell you, a lot of these diagnoses are uh, screen related. Yeah, I don't doubt it. Okay. So before we go into like questions, is there anything else you wanted to specifically point out? 
what I usually say in these interviews is this is not what's going on in today's world with the rise in suicide and self-harm. It's getting younger and younger, and it is not what we would think of as a mental illness problem. It's a mental health problem. It is a cultural Mm -hmm. problem that is affecting today's youth, meaning that nobody is immune to it if they're being exposed to screens and social media starting at a young age. I go into great detail about that in my book and kind of what parents can do about it. And I talk a lot about it on Instagram, which I always feel so hypocritical for marketing my stuff on social media. And I've really struggled with that through the years and trying to find that balance of recognizing my own social media use and what I'm using it for. And I'm really trying to use it for good and with productivity and benefit, but it's a slippery slope for all of us. You know, I I love that you said that because (laughs) I can't tell you the amount of messages that I have gotten. So, you know, throughout this year, I've kind of been on this journey of, I, I started blogging 13 years ago as an outlet from like my work in the hospital and it was really fun and it was, it truly was an outlet and it truly was something that it it took a lot of time to create content. There was a lot of thought that went into it. And then as soon as Instagram came out with their swipe up stories, everybody started monetizing literally everything. Everybody has a shoppable life and it turned into the exact opposite of what I want for myself. And thanks to COVID, honestly, out of all the things COVID brought to me, I think it kind of rapidly pushed me off the cliff as opposed to, I think I would have gotten to the Mm -hmm. same place, but I got here much quicker because of, you know, everything that's happened in the past year and a half. And so I'm really, really grateful for that. But where am I going with this? So yeah, so I've had a lot of people say to me, Lindsay, you know, you're so hypocritical because you talk on this app about how toxic it is for us. And oh, it's so ironic that you're just using it. And I'm like, I, and I get that. I, I totally get that. But yes. how else am I supposed to like reach the masses with this information? Exactly. Like I want to scream this stuff from the rooftops. And so like my whole uh, platform for the past year has been like, you know, just talking about, you know, the things that I feel that I am more of an expert in, which is just talking about COVID or the vaccine. And and then of course, you know, like as I'm learning about social media, like I've listened to, to uh, have you listened to Jaron Lanier about certain things? No. Like, oh, he's like one of my favorites. He was in that movie or sorry, the documentary, The uh, Social Dilemma. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he's in that documentary and he's basically the guru that came up with like virtual reality. Like he's really high up there in Silicon Valley. Yeah. And I think he's in his sixties now, but anywho, he wrote a couple of different books, 10 reasons why you should delete your social media right now. His whole stance is like, I've been saying this from the, since the eighties that we were going to get destroyed by social media. And he's like, look at what's happening. You know, even like these big, like people say, oh, well, you know, like all these big movements wouldn't have gone anywhere without social media. But you look at these movements, like for example, like Black Lives Matter, like it it started off with so much good intention and then social media got a hold of it and it turned into this ugliness, you know? Yep. Yeah, people have been, you know, creating movements forever. We don't need social media in order for it to no. happen. 
and I really, I'm with you. Like, I wish, I really wish social, like, do you remember last week, I think, or two weeks ago when social media, Facebook and Instagram went down for five <laughs> yes. hours? I seriously was like, this is the best day ever. Like, can it stay like this? So then I had, I don't know about yeah. you, but I went on this whole like fa- fantasy trip in my head and I was like, okay, so it would be hard for a lot of people and there would be things that we would miss out on. So what if we got like a, a one month warning in one month, Facebook and Instagram is, and TikTok and all of it is going to shut down. So going get everything away. ready. Yeah. Like get all your correspondence figured out, get everything ready and let's just shut it down. And I went on this whole fantasy trip about it. Like, Oh, and I was like, <laughs> I was like breathing better. <laughs> yeah, no, I bet. It's really hard being on social media and trying to to advocate against social media. And so I really have figured out that if you're getting on social media, it needs to be for some purpose and for benefit. Otherwise it's a waste of time and it's going to be hurtful to your heart and your mind, no matter how old you are. So if you're getting on just to fill boredom or to mindlessly scroll, it's not going to be beneficial for you mental health wise. Right. Yeah, totally agree. All right. So we have about 10 minutes for some questions. Okay. So I'm going to pull some up here. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, (sighs) well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, so I know this was a common question that I was reading. As a mom who's not, you know, trained in therapy and things like that, how can they, you know, look out for subtle signs in their preteen or teen that they may be depressed, maybe experiencing elevated anxiety, maybe suicidal? Like what are some things to look out for? So this is a, actually a really hard question to answer to, in today's world because traditionally you look out for um, a change in behavior, lacking in school, isolation, talking about death a lot, crying a lot. And in today's world, what we're seeing is that people who are seemingly happy and just fine with tons of friends and staying active on the inside, they're experiencing a lot of depression and anxiety. Mm. So this is a really hard question to answer because, and it's a scary question because my answer is in today's culture, there are not any huge obvious signs anymore. Now there are still people who struggle with, you know, some of this stuff that do show those signs, but I would, you know, suicide, especially self-harm is such a hot topic and it's being talked about more than ever. So what I tell parents is it's not horrible to sit down and talk to your kid about what they think suicide is. They've worried about a friend before how they are doing, like have check-ins with your child and your teenager about these dark and scary thoughts and issues and see where they're at with it. Because if you don't ask, you're probably not going to know their kids today Mm -hmm. have gotten really good at, at putting on a front and parents are totally blindsided when they find out that their kid's been thinking about suicide for three years. And it's just, it's, it can be really heartbreaking. So I encourage all parents to kind of 
do check-ins with their kids. I mean, even like my 10 year old has come home saying that there's kids at school who have talked about suicide before he's in fourth grade. So it's talked about, and, and even we lost an 11 year old about a year ago, she was in sixth grade to suicide. And so, especially if something like that's happening at the school or if kid, and they're talking about it, they are, they just are. Cause it's, it's happening. So as parents, I encourage you to check in. Okay. A really quick question for you. Like, I feel like this was never talked about when I, when I was right. younger. No, no, it this, wasn't. This is a new yeah. thing, right? Well, I, so I have a different situation because both of my parents are therapists. So I knew about okay mental illness and suicide starting at a young age. But yeah, no one, because it, it wasn't happening as much. And if it did happen, it was very, it was someone very obvious that was struggling, right? It was the kid wearing the dark clothes in the corner and that's not the case anymore. So. Hmm. Okay. So this question kind of ties along with that. How can I foster open conversations with my kids who are just naturally not big talkers? Like, do you have any tips for that? Like if you're, if your child comes home from school and I was one of these kids where my mom would be like, how was school? And she asked me a million questions and I would mm-hmm. ignore her. <laughs> <laughs> is there something that we can do as parents that will make them feel less alone, even though they might not want to talk much? Yeah, absolutely. So my biggest advice for this is, and bear with me here, is to become friends with your kids. So when I say that, I don't mean go buy a six pack and you know drink a cold <laughs> one with them. I mean, apply some of friendship qualities that you have with your own friends and start putting them into your relationship with your child. So take interest in them. Do what they are doing. Fall into their comfort zone. If they love to play basketball, get your booty outside and start shooting some hoops and just hang out and mm-hmm. don't force the conversation. When your child mm-hmm. is comfortable and you are obviously taking interest in them, they will start to open up about the big stuff. I tell this story all the time. I was putting my then six-year-old, he's eight now, to bed And he really, I like to spend about 10 minutes with each of the boys at bedtime. And for his 10 minutes, he wanted to build some Legos. So we're just building Legos, not talking about anything serious. I'm letting him guide the conversation. And then all of a sudden he goes, mom, when will I get to kiss a girl? And I was like, oh, okay. We're going to have this conversation now. (laughs) Yeah. So we had like a little age appropriate sex talk right before bed with my six-year-old playing Legos, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But he would have never felt comfortable asking me that question if I wasn't in his zone. So what I tell parents is do something with your kids, you know, like just like when you go on dates with your spouses, you don't sit there and stare at each other trying to get the other one to talk. You go have a drink or go have coffee or go eat together or go do something fun together. So I encourage parents to do that with their kids as well. And the day-to-day stuff is just to kind of let them guide that, but join them in their comfort zone. Now, I, I know you had mentioned that you spend like a couple, do you do that every night where you spend a couple of minutes with each child? I know that that seems like really daunting for, I mean, for me, especially with my kids' ages, but I do, like it is, I mean, it's, it's definitely something I think that helps so significantly with, with your personal relationship with each child, but do you do it every night? No, I wish I did. I strive to, but there are sometimes I have to work or um, I'm exhausted and someone's Mm -hmm throwing a fit and I have to put a little attention towards them, but I do try to, I try to do 10 minutes with each of them 
But I will say that studies show that all of us, not just kids, but when you get home from work, you need 15 to 20 minutes of just chill. Don't ask questions. Don't bother me right now. Every adult Mm -hmm. is like that. And every kid is like that. They just need that 15 to 20 minutes of that. So really the crucial times to spend with kids is during dinner. I'm still a fan of the traditional dinners, which again, uh, we don't do that every night either. You know, it's a busy lifestyle, but we try. And then, you know, five to 10 minutes, every evening with them, just checking in with them. It's not always easy. It's not always doable, but it's something that if you try to do it, you'll find that it's accessible more often. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like, I love that idea. Okay. So, oh, as a teacher, what can we do? That's a good question. Is there anything that teachers can do to, you know, help these preteens and teens? Yeah. I think, you know, becoming a safe person for your students, not every student, which I mean, this is just across the board, not every kid or teenager is comfortable going to their parents. So if they have one Mm -hmm. person at school that they do feel comfortable with, um, and you can be that person, that would be awesome for them to have that safe place. But also I've, I've had a lot of people and I don't know if this is the case nationwide, but in our district, I've had a lot of people tell me that their teachers are having them get social media accounts just for their class or for a group chat. Wait, what? Yes. Yes. Oh, you're making me super nervous right now. I know. I had a sixth grader who her teacher requested that all the students get an Instagram so that she could have a class Instagram and she would post the kids who got A's on stuff. And let me tell you, Lindsay, I marched into that school and threw a fit and the principal shut it down. The principal did not know about it and was not a fan of it. So he shut it down, but it was happening and I hear about it more and more. And, and I know that technology can be really useful, but teachers, I really want them to use it in a very productive educational way. And if, you know, having a group Snapchat is how you're doing it, that's not productive or educational. So I want teachers to be very aware and I do feel for teachers because I I do think, because I I hear both sides. I have teachers that come to me that say, you know, phones are our biggest problem at school and we can't get kids off of it. And it's so frustrating. And I want a classroom where my students aren't, you know, glued to their phones. And then I have the Mm -hmm. other side where teachers are like, what's the big deal? Like they're using their phones anyway. So I need them to go ahead and download this app so that we can all chat together. And, and it's really hard. I mean, it's hard, but I am not a fan of that. So. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I, and I'm not a teacher, so I don't know, but I I can't imagine trying to compete with a teenager and their phone would ever be useful. Like I, you know what I'm saying? Like, obviously what's on your phone is going to be significantly more exciting than what's going on in the classroom as a teenager. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So that's like kind of bizarre. I have a f- one more question for you. So there are a, quite a few questions about this, which I didn't know anything about, but like there's a few people saying, you know, as a, as a pediatric provider, I haven't been able to find any counselors with openings. What do I do? And then I have like another person that's, you know, what more can I do? Wait lists for therapists are unrealistic right now. So it sounds like a lot of people are having a lot of trouble finding a therapist for their child. Like, do you have any suggestions on that? Oh, I really wish I did. It is it has gotten overbearingly impossible 
we just don't have enough therapists. And on one hand, this is a good thing that that many people are taking mental health seriously and wanting and seeking therapy. But on the other hand, we just don't have enough right now to mm. get everyone in. And it's it's been really, really hard, especially since the pandemic. So gosh, I don't have a good answer for that one. Other than if anyone's interested in getting their counseling degree, now would be a really great time. (laughs) Go for it. You know, yeah, you know, I, I, I hate to do a shameless plug, but I really did write my book for the good of parents and teachers and adults to learn how to talk to their kids and how to raise their kids in today's culture. And so if you if you're not a big reader that's fine but find your resources on on social media so that you're getting on social media for benefit and for productivity and do some research with some self-help books so that you can build stronger relationships with your kids and really we need to teach our kids how to self-regulate which is a really hard task to do because some of us adults aren't quite good at self-regulating all the time. I know I struggle with it too, and I'm a therapist. So it's it's a it's a hard one, but self-regulating starts with parents at home verbalizing that I'm getting frustrated or I'm getting upset and and I'm gonna go take a, a two minute breather in my closet really quick, or I'm going to go journal right now, or, you know, Mm -hmm. mommy needs a minute to, you know, I'm going to drink some water and take some deep breaths, you know, modeling that behavior, but you have to verbalize it for your kids. And then having talks with your kids at night when you are putting them to bed and saying, Hey buddy, I noticed today you got really upset. And, and I want to figure out what I can do to help you the next time that happens and maybe how you can work on it next time too. And just having those open conversations and feeling, helping your kid feel like there's a plan and a support system in place for the self-regulating. It can be really hard to do that and to stay on top of it, especially having a lot of kids. But if you really are adamant about it, you can get it done. And it, and it can be a really beautiful moment for you and your child. And I have a lot of uh, examples of that on my Instagram, if anybody wants to kind of go and look at what I've put on with that. But I really think that if you can't get in with a mental health professional, you can lean on the school counselors, which I know they're very busy too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just do your own research with books and and finding those articles that could be helpful. But I think also finding someone for your child or your teenager that they do trust, whether it's an aunt, a teacher, a coach, a friend of the family, that they do feel comfortable saying all the things to would be really helpful as well. I have two questions I'm just going to end with, which are questions that I ask everybody who's on the podcast. So the first question is, what advice would you give to a new mom, but it doesn't have to do with anything that we talked about today? Like, what would that piece of advice be? That's a good one. I have, this is a twofold answer. Can I do two answers? Uh, You definitely can. (laughs) Okay. One is when you go to the grocery store, park as close to the cart return place (laughs) so that you don't have to walk (laughs) your cart too far away when the babies are in the car. I really wish someone had told me that. (laughs) And two is to, and we hear this all the time, but it really is true to 
focus on what you and your family needs and what is best for you and your family, not what other people are telling you and not what other people are expecting of you, but to set realistic expectations that are healthy for you and your family and to go with your gut on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. The next question is, if you could make one meal for your entire family that everybody would eat, but is also relatively quick and easy, what would it be? So I'm Italian. So we do a lot of pasta dishes. This is not going to sound appetizing to anyone else because I grew up with this meal, but my kids love it and I love it. But I make a macaroni with broccoli and cauliflower and it is delicious and easy and yeah, fills our bellies really nicely. (laughs) So what you just like roast the broccoli and cauliflower, like chop it up and then you add it in after or how okay, do, you, do so you do it all together? I boil, I boil the broccoli and cauliflower. And then once it comes to like a very bubbly boil, I add the pasta and I let that cook for oh. 15 minutes. And then on the side, I'm browning some garlic and in olive oil. And so you mix a little bit of the pasta. You keep a little bit of the pasta water in the pasta after you drain it and mix that oil in there, add a little salt and it's mm, yummy. <laughs> so it's just like a, it's like an olive oil garlic like type of sauce. Yes. Yeah. It's oh. not really a sauce. I wouldn't even call it a sauce. It's just. Yeah. 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 Oh. yeah I'll send you the recipe. It's really yummy. It's really easy. It's a family recipe and all my kids love it and we get our broccoli and cauliflower in. Yes. Please send it to me because I want to try that. That sounds good. I feel like my kids would like that because they, they're in that stage where they don't really like the pasta sauce, like regular pasta sauce. Yeah. And I'm like, well, first yeah, of all, you're crazy. Yeah. But second of all, I know, <laughs> what right? am I going to do from here? <laughs> it's like, what's wrong with you that you don't like red sauce? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I want to try that. And I think, you know, some people listening might want to try it too. So sure. Yeah. So we will put some of the, some of the things that we talked about within the episode into the show notes. And so you can find everything there. And it was a pleasure talking with you this morning. I learned a lot and you um, have definitely solidified (laughs) my thoughts on, you know, uh, phone use and social media use in, in my own kids. So yeah, we can just keep screaming this from the rooftops. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.